Welcome to the Something Admired podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Haber, and I look forward to opening the space to share inspiring conversations with those I admire. Join me weekly as we dive into inspiring leaders, teachers, and thinkers that have a story to tell. With a desire to connect, and more importantly, a craving to learn, this podcast was born. If there's one thing I'm certain about, it is that the world needs more stories being shared and admirable moments that embed in our memories. And with great pleasure, let us begin together. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Something Admired. I am speaking with Waylon Lewis, who is an author, teacher, and founder of the online community and publication Elephant Journal. We cover everything from cultivating a deeper connection to writing, how to create engage with an online community as an artist, and tools from an experienced author on how to self-publish the eco-way. This is my second time speaking with Waylon on the topic of writing and building an engaged community. And Waylon has been a huge inspiration for me, not only personally as a writer, but also as a community entrepreneur and teacher and author. Uh, a handful of my work has been published in Elephant Journal over the years, and this online platform has been a pool of resources and inspiration for my own personal journey. If you aren't aware of Elephant Journal, head over to their website. You can find all the details in the show notes and dive into all different topics and courses and resources that Waylon and his community offers. And stay tuned for an amazing conversation on all things writing and self-publish and how to actually create an idea of a book and bring it to life and the different routes you go and, and basically the birth process of a book. So enjoy today's conversation and I will speak to you next week. Hey, Waylon, I am so grateful to have you here again and welcome to the podcast. Congratulations. I'm, I'm excited to uh, learn more about it. Thank you for being here. One question that I love to always ask with whoever I have on is what is something you're currently admiring? Hmm. That's a great question. I like that. I think I'm always um, in love with craft. I would say craft is in some ways the magnetizing uh, eco healing kind of tonic that the world needs. So basically capitalism encourages the opposite and leads to climate crisis. So craft is actually a way of slowing down, paying people to do their craft, appreciating craft in your life, doing craft yourself, and, and uh, you know, before I repeat that word too many times and it has no meaning to people's ears, it can be 
it can be, you know, I love antiques. I love reusing. So right now we're, you may hear some construction during this conversation. I apologize um, because we're renovating this bathroom and expanding it. And I'm in an old house in Boulder, Colorado. And we're using, I think, other than the screws and nails and whatever, 100% uh, reused materials, antique or reuse. And um, it's a joy. It's such a, it's so much harder. It takes a lot longer, but it's a lot cheaper often to get reused. So it all kind of balances out. You wind up paying these craftspeople all the money you would be otherwise spending on this sort of yuppie, cheap material. And 99% of the time, new materials are toxic and really cheap and made overseas, shipped in container ships, made by people who aren't properly paid or honored um, or even safe often. And again, climate crisis. So that was a long answer, but I'm very excited about it. Mm, and I believe craft is a topic that we're going to explore today very much in depth. And craft is something that I think it's it's like a what is it? One of those stones that you can tumble and tumble in the ocean and it gets weathered. And mm. I think even the writing process, and I know that that's something that we'll dive into in more depth, but that is, there's an art to that. And I think what's so beautiful is being able to see those places that something has been weathered and has this beauty and where you're living and in, you know, the walls of your home, it's so beautiful to just cherish and really relish in that handcrafted imprint. And it adds so much to your life. Like I would say, that's one thing I love about you to the very small extent I know you is every photo or, you know, whatever your words, you're, you're living a life, it seems like, that is directed toward and rooted in connection and craft and nature and appreciation admiring things and community um and uh it means a lot it adds so much to our life like i i do not allow um mugs or plates or anything in my home that aren't handcrafted or antique or because every single thing can add so much um mm -hmm. i mean i'm not that rigid like i am involved with the zero waste grocery so obviously we have you know, conventional jars and things, but yeah, you don't want to be uptight about it, but you do want to, you want your life to slow down a little and be really beautiful. I love that. And I second that. I find that, you know, it's, it's a continuation of a story and I, I love it because I think we had this conversation in our last conversation about this because we both had mugs that were handmade mugs and, oh, and they, they truly are. I, I, actually, I spoke about this in a different episode of where I'll look at my, in my kitchen, for instance, and my partner made the knives and wow. I found this really beautiful pot that we cook in at the farmer's market, or sorry, at one of the swap markets and his brother carved the spoon. And I think not that everyone can live like that, but there's a beautiful connection to the way that that is an appendage of ourselves and so I think well, that that's a beautiful but I would way push of back on that because that's often a story that we guilt trip ourselves about that everyone can't live like that everyone mm. did live like that and in fact in often in developing nations people are 
live like that and want to live like that and are having their livelihood taken away by capitalism. So the, the trick that capitalism plays on us is it destroys um, local materials and local sourcing and creating pottery, whatever it is, gardening. It makes us move to the city, then be dependent on the system that ships everything from across the world. Then it says it, you're only gonna get it cheap enough for your life because we destroyed your livelihood and your happiness mm. in your community from Amazon and the like. And then it says that doing anything mindfully or craft is a privilege thing. So I actually would really push back that we can't put craft in the privilege box and privilege to the extent that it does exist, which it definitely does, has to be shared or it becomes a toxic thing. Um, but part of what I loved about craft is you're paying people too much in quotes, according to capitalism, to do their craft. Mm. Mm. And that's a huge part of why I love, when I ever I break a, a cherished mug, it kind of, you know, you're sad, but you're also kind of happy. You're like, oh, now I have to go back to the, you know, <laughs> tall, handsome, 80 year old Italian fellow who I buy my mugs from who has like white ponytail and a huge bushy mustache and his wife and he create the best pottery in Boulder by far mm. Mm. and you're paying oh, for their, their livelihood definitely I can't wait to visit Boulder actually that's one place I've yet to come and visit but I feel uh just an interesting connection to that place and the craft yeah. and yeah. the people there well you would add a lot to it and um yeah you and your partner are certainly welcome with michelle and me here and i'm sure you have many other friends here oh thank you well it's ironically enough i feel like i have this outer circle that's forming there which is so amazing so yeah on the list and hopefully in the near future i will be there and we can connect deeper and I want to actually dig deeper into this because I feel like it ties back to the start of where everything began, which is who you are as a person, who you are as a creator, and your baby, essentially, Elephant Journal. I'd love to dive into, yeah, maybe introduce yourself a little bit here. I would have already done so prior. And then how that kind of journey began. So, yeah, thank you. For asking. I, um, I grew up uh, super poor with my mom uh, in a little Buddhist or a big Buddhist, big, exciting, arty, poetic, um, party happy, meditation happy uh, Buddhist community in Boulder. So a lot of beat generation poets and a lot of artists and scientists and all these were magnetized by this Buddhist community. And um, I grew up in that and we didn't have a car, TV, or fast food, or any of that stuff. My mom was, I think at her peak earning, she made $12,000 a year. Um, and we had a very simple life. And sometimes it was hard um, financially for her mainly as a kid. I, you know, I, I think she protected me from a lot of that, but um we were very happy and I just remember having a very, I think that's where my love of craft came from is she had all this old antique furniture that, you know, she probably bought at a yard sale and it was very simple, but 
her appreciation for things, for flowers. She was always like, we just had a snowstorm, really late snowstorm, like late May, and it broke branches all over town and smashed flowers and all this. We really need it because we've been having more and more wildfires and less and less precipitation. But my mom, I got on the phone with her and she was like, oh yeah, remember in Boulder, that would always happen. And I would bring in flowers from all over the block and put them all up, like huge branches with flowers, put them all over the house. And I was like, oh, right. So just her way of living. And I grew up bicycling and my father and his father and his father were journalists. And my mom was a Shakespeare teacher and an English teacher and a writing teacher and a Buddhist and environmentalist and an activist. So I think I grew up saying, well, I don't want to be poor because I saw the stress and the pain that caused for my mom sometimes. I'd find her crying sometimes and we lost our home because the mortgage. And But at the same time, I had a very wealthy life in terms of safe streets and good education. And we didn't have gun violence in the US like we do now. And so I had a lot of privilege in that sense, a loving mother. My father wasn't really part of the picture. Um, but I think I grew up wanting to be a writer, you know, um, but I didn't want to be a broke writer. Um, so I said, well, you know, maybe I'll start a business in a community and um, there aren't enough good places for like good journalistic values expressed in a creative, meaningful kind of Buddhisty way. Often journalism is like news, and then there's like creative writing, but rarely is there, journalism is a beautiful craft that's about truth, but too, far too rarely is it applied to creative, um, like me talking about like writing an article about craft and sharing that with people. One of my favorite writers who I was thinking of, you should read uh, a Gift from the Sea when you were talking about turning the stones and Gift from the Sea is that kind of writing that I am in love with. And uh, Margaret Rankel is probably my favorite writer right now, or Michael Pollan for the last 20 years has mm -hmm. been a favorite writer. So anyway, we created this community and it was kind of started accident accidentally um, and with a kind of yoga focus from my business partner. And then he and his wife left they basically were like, there's no money in this stuff. We're out of here. Sometimes people accuse me of being in it for the money. And uh, I, I wish I were in it for the money. You know, it's, it's a hard writing is a very difficult path um, to make a living at, but, uh, but it's wonderful. And I love it. Mm. So interesting. So there's the two sides of your lineage, which is the journalism, and then also the writing and the activism. And now I love it. It just gets deeper and deeper every time I, I ask that question. And I think that's the second time that I've spoken to you about it. And so it's beautiful to hear where that's come from. And Elephant Journal, I mean, personally, I remember it was introduced to me by my mom, who is an avid subscriber to Elephant Journal and I have a handful of friends as well who uh, who have been guest writers as well as 
reading and sharing elephant journal and I remember for me it was definitely a salve um, on part of my journey where I was struggling with anxiety and going through that journey and really hungry for uh, relatable content and so I love the way that let's just even say your the titles of each journal entry or even how the format of elephant journal is is really relatable and real content that I think to, in today's day and age is a beautiful format to journalism. And so maybe let's dive a little bit deeper into how exactly Elephant Journal works and what it is evolving into today. Yeah, some of this might be nerdy or boring, but you know, a brief history lesson is the magazine industry used to be so diverse and so rich. I don't mean financially, but in some areas it was, but so diverse and so creative. And I'm talking about a land known as the 1990s, long, long ago. Then came the internet and it began kind of destroying the magazine business as well as destroying the book business, which, which is interesting. And it gave rise to things like Amazon and. Barnes and Noble and the kind of blockbuster culture where you can make a Top Gun movie, you can make a Top Gun sequel, but you can't necessarily make a lot of these arty films or put out books that won't be, you know, the next Harry Potter. Although Harry Potter was a delightful kind of example of a grassroots, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a single mom writing on napkins in the cafe, um, whether or not you uh, appreciate her uh, political stances. You know, that's an example of a book breaking through, but, but um, that doesn't happen so much anymore. And then for the last 10, 20 years, the internet, the rise of the internet has been amazing. And of course, as soon as it started becoming big enough, it started consolidating and huge businesses got involved. Facebook being one of the thousand pounds gorillas in, in that space. Facebook initially said, we want to be about community and about people reading. So all the newspapers and publications and magazines and zines started sharing their work on Facebook. Um, then Facebook got rich enough that they could buy up all their competition, including Instagram, WhatsApp, and they stopped caring about publications or people's writing or any of that. So basically, if I say, I had a wonderful talk with Sophie today. We talked about craft. This was amazing. I'll probably get like a hundred comments and a kajillion likes and that's great. But if I link to your podcast or I link to your video or I link to an article on elephant or I link to a book you write, I'll probably get zero to one likes and zero comments for sure. So basically any outside link kills the reach of that post. And that's been for about six years. And during that time, that's given rise to fake news and a lot of sort of extremist behavior on, on social media. Very similar things have happened on Twitter. And, and to some extent, these social media giants, big tech giants work with this stuff. But the, but the point of all of that is that Elephant grew during that time. We're turning 20 years old in June. So I started when I was 28, just out of Naropa University and Boston University. And um, 
we got to 30 million readers a month. We're a huge publication. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of writers. We pay 40 writers as chosen by our readers every month. We'd like to pay thousands and thousands of writers as we grow. Um, but over the last six years, because links are now dead on Facebook um, and they're even deader on Instagram, you can't even put a link in your caption on Instagram. You can say link in bio, and then you're dependent on the person literally leaving the post, going to your bio and then clicking. Doesn't happen much, I can tell you, um, unless it's a product, ironically. Hmm. So 90% of our competition is gone. They've been bought up or they're out of business. So elephant is like one of the last great, you know, we're an endangered species. I always sadly joke like the elephant, our namesake. We're one of the last great independent publications where you can get paid if you're consistent, you can build up a community, you can share your work. You can, like you did, hopefully get something with journalistic values, but that's relatable and accessible and helpful for your life. And yeah, we have a team of editors. We have, a, you know, we have sales, we have a whole business. And, um, but it's very, very difficult, I have to say, in this day and age. And unless things change with big tech, we would join the 90% and we already would have, we would go out of business. So what I've been doing over the last 10 years since I saw this kind of opportunity slash threat emerge is try to invest in, in Elephant becoming its own ecosystem, like a Reddit or like a Twitter or whatever, where people can write, share, get paid, um, talk with one another. We just introduced DMing, messaging on Elephant, within Elephant. You can fan and friend people like on Instagram and, you, and we're creating communities now like groups on Facebook. So we're putting together all the basic pieces of a platform. And basically if you're gonna get killed by Facebook as a media, you have, to be, you have to change the game. You have to become social media. But imagine a social media, unlike Instagram, which I love, unlike Twitter, which I love and hate. I kind of love, hate all of them. Um, that is independent and mission-driven, ethics-driven, and believes in people sharing and connecting, sharing their links. You know, if you could write in a book share it on elephant chapter by chapter, like Charles Dickens did, serialize it, sell tens of thousands of copies. Like that's what we should be here for. So I'm fired up as much as ever. And it's certainly gotten harder and harder, but that also just means no one else is trying because it's an awful business to be in. You know, I joke mm -hmm. about the yoga teacher to realtor pipeline. Like all my yoga teacher friends become realtors in a few years because it's such a hard way to make a living. Mm. And it's the same thing in writing right now. So there's not many people trying in, in publications or magazines, you know, Boulder. Anyway, I could talk about it forever. No, I, I love that. Hundred percent. And congratulations, because I know that that journey is a big one and to go against the norm, but also stick to your side and stick to your passion and essentially creating community out of something that is, you know, foreign territory is amazing. And I think I just, I know that anyone listening to this who is 
just hungry for that inspiration of, you know, how to create a, you know, their passion into something that is possible and is profitable and, and does create community. They just need to hear that. And so I think that that, you know, even if it's just touching one person, that it's an amazing opportunity to watch that grow. And you, as an individual, I think I can really connect and relate on the subject of writing and being a freelance writer for many years now. And I, I think starting off as a journaler, I think that's where my love for writing really began was just writing and writing to some other entity. It was like I was writing to God or, or writing to something other than myself. And that was where I really cultivated a connection to my pen or my pencil and, and paper. And I'm really curious to dive into because I know you have some really exciting projects on the horizon. Let's talk about the life cycle of a book, because that's something that I think is a really interesting topic and I want to dive into that uh, well first of all I would say you're such a good conversationalist I I do a lot of these and I also interview a lot of people and uh yeah if I was good at this as you are I would I would be a master by now because I've done so many and I'm so mediocre at it so props to you um what would you like to know about what do you mean by life cycle of the book Good question. So just essentially, like when someone has this passion to put a book out into the world, they have an idea, they have the concept, what are the next steps? So I know I, we mm. mentioned just earlier about this around, let's say someone has this, they've conceived the idea, and then they're at the crossroads, whether or not they want to go with a publisher or they want to self-publish. And one, you know, both of those are modern day options. And I kind of have a feeling of which option you'll go with. So I'm really yeah. curious to hear your journey with that. And you yeah. currently have one book, you know, one book and then another book on the horizon. So maybe explain that process to us. Yeah. So um, again, you know, what I'm going to say, this sounds like a cheap infomercial. What I'm going to say, you will not read anywhere else, but you really <laughs> genuinely, the information out there is, is very, very mainstream and conventional. Most writers, even moderately successful writers, even very successful writers in New York, you know, in the US, New York is a big place for writing. They're well-known authors. They published a bun bunch of books. They make a living doing it. Often they're lower or middle, middle class. Like they are not able to buy an apartment in New York. They are not able to, you know, raise children easily. It's a tough living even for someone who is well established and frankly fantastic at it like an unbelievably gifted voice the reason is you you know writing a book is not usually that quick unless you're one of those like pot boiler people james patterson or something who like has a fleet of like interns or whatever writing for him and then he just pumps them out um do you know James Patterson? He's published like no. 500 books and they're all like, you know, with Tom Cruise, like heroes, like white men heroes saving the day and fighting the Russians or whatever, you know? <laughs> so um, yeah, it's a tough business. So 
it takes a long time to write. You finally publish it. Because of Amazon largely, Amazon has largely gutted the publishing world. So the publishing world, they were never saints, but they were a lot of good people and editors and doing a lot of quality work. Again, I worked at a publisher in the 90s, Shambhala. Um, they're much weaker than they used to be. So I actually do support people going with a good publisher and going that route. Find an ethical, good publisher. One of my favorite is Chelsea Green. They would be amazing for you. Like they do eco books. They're super mission driven. They're amazing. I would never knock the work of good publishers. The mainstream publishers, I, they're fine. It, you know, it depends. It's hard to generalize. But 90% um, of people these days, when you hear self-publishing, think Amazon. Amazon, you self-publish on Amazon. Your books are printed in China. They're plastic coated. They will never return to the earth in a wholesome way. They are toxic. They're toxic to the people reading them, including children. When you're touching a slimy new book and it smells like a new car smell, that's toxic. Old books back in the day, like in the 50s, you go into a bookstore, you get a used book. What, do, what did books used to smell like? Can you remember? Yeah, they smell like my grandma's home. Like they just have this really old coffee shop type of smell like old coffee stains mixed with like fire smoke yeah mm. so they actually that's exactly it so they actually had this thing in the paper a binding agent called vanillin which is related to vanilla hmm. and when you go into old bookstores or used bookstores like an antique bookshop where they don't aren't mixing it with like new books like this is a new book this is plastic um you'd open it up and it would smell like vanilla and that's exactly like grandma land like <laughs> tea and cooking and baking and all that beautiful stuff the interesting hearth. yeah and those books you could read for a million years maybe they fell apart eventually hypothetically you could throw it into your garden mm -hmm. and there would be no issue the inks maybe a little bit maybe the glue a little bit but pretty good so anyway when people publish, self-publish with Amazon, I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of the freedom that gives people, but you can, there's a, a third way, instead of the mainstream publisher way, the Amazon way, you can, I don't actually call it self-publishing, I call it independent publishing. Self-publishing is fine to call it, that's what it is, but it's a bit of a derogatory term. When you say, hey, I'm getting, my book is getting published this year, people are like, oh my God, that's so exciting. If you say, I'm self-publishing my, my book this year, people are like, wah, wah. like, it's a little bit, it used to be called vanity publishing. Like no one wanted your book, so, mm. but you would print your own book. My grandpa back in the 60s, vanity published an adventure novel he wrote, which is wonderful. Um, but independent publishing is what I espouse. And I have a whole course on it in our online school um, and it's called um, how to write, how to write, uh, print, and sell the hell out of your book. And I'm sure we talked about it last time. And yeah, basically, a huge part of it is 99% of the marketing of the book. Um, well, not 99%, but like 75% of the marketing of the book should happen before the book is published. And that's in a process called serialization. So people who follow you on Instagram. They see your beautiful photos. They read your beautiful writing. They develop a connection with you. 
If there's a link in there to get your forthcoming book that the writing is part of, I know I would buy it, especially if there are like these like poems and photos and whatever. I don't know what you want to write. And then, and of course, over time, people would say, oh, that looks like a cool book. Maybe I'll buy it. But they see 10, they see 20 of these and they have 10 or 20 of those moments and they say, I'm going to buy Sophie's book. So that's serialization, which to me is fundamental to the independent publishing route. And it's important to independent to serialize on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Elephant, your own blog, wherever you can do it, and then link back to your pre-order of your book. So mm. I brought it here because we were talking about my books. I don't actually have the book yet. It comes out in like literally in like five days, but this is oh the God. eco cover of the second book. I don't know if you can see that. Wow. And I paid for a hundred percent, more than a hundred percent of the print run before I printed it through pre-orders. And that helps because unless you're super rich and daddy's paying for everything or mommy's paying for everything, um, you can actually pay for your first print run by getting people's pre-orders. Mm -hmm. And I've taken forever writing my book and I get messages all the time. People being like, I bought your book more than a year ago. When am I going to get it? Every single time, literally, I respond. I'm like, I am so sorry. <laughs> I took forever editing it. It's taken a long time eco-printing it. It's coming out June 1st or whatever. And people are like, no problem, just checking. People don't really care uh, mm -hmm. because it's not a huge dollar amount usually. And mm -hmm. they have some relationship and faith in you. And you do have to deliver and not be, you know, if I'm being flaky with people, that would be bad. But as long as you communicate, you're good. The first book, I didn't take that long. My first book, so this cover will be folded and it'll look similar to the format of this, my first book. And, you know, they're beautiful. And you can literally, like I'm paying for it to be um, Smith sewn, Smith yes. sewn, instead of glued. Um, there's no plastic on this. This is cotton canvas. There's no plastic on there. And the inks are actually algae. They absorb carbon while they're growing. They're not ink. There's no wow. petroleum. And that was a technology developed by, well, nature. It was developed by nature. But then Patagonia developed it for ink. And, and I'm planting trees with every purchase. So this whole book is super, super eco. And my first book was far more eco than any other book I know of in the US. But I learned a lot how to improve it with the second book. So this second book is titled, It's Never Too Late to Fall in Love with Your Life, is I think by far the most eco book in the world. And if that sounds like a bold claim, I would say any book from the 1950s and before in any used bookstore, is probably still more eco than my book. Mm. It's, it's more a reflection of where the world is going in a bad way than how virtuous my book is. Mm, I love that title. And I feel like that that's kind of a, even loving the process of creating your book from start Gosh. to finish. Yeah, it comes back to the craft of it. And I kind of just want to trace back to what you were talking about. So essentially with the independent publishing and then you, did you independent publish that book? Yeah, yes. both of these. Both so of I the serialized books. Okay. them. So you asked about the life cycle. So I wrote them yeah. whenever I felt like it. I wrote a chapter yeah. and share it. 
people like you would be like, I love it. Or you'd be like, I like it, but I didn't like this part, or I was confused by this. And that community process was so helpful. Mm. Writers get so intimidated by writer's block, right? I never mm -hmm. had writer's block because readers were there, community were there helping guide me. A lot of writer's block is like, I don't know where to go or what I'm doing isn't working. Yeah. And communities has helped me in every stage of life. And I have to say, you almost can't go wrong if community is telling you where to go. And if yeah. ever all, all the comments are like, this is lovely, I love this, I'm gonna buy it, then you're good. But if I wrote a chapter in It's Never Too Late to Fall in Love with Your Life that people actually had a real problem with. And I got a lot of comments saying, this is, if they were being nice, they would have said, this is half right and half wrong. They mm -hmm. weren't being nice, it's the internet. So I went back and I researched and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not well-educated on this. It's an important topic. That's why I wanted to include it, but I'm a bit out of my depth. So I, I learned a lot more and then I rewrote it. I reshared it. Everyone was like, I love this. This is so helpful. And I was like, all right. And imagine if I just put out that first draft. It's not only is it maybe embarrassing or bad for me or my, bad for my book, but let's focus on what actually matters. It's bad for the world to mm. put out confusing, half-baked, you know, wisdom that isn't wise. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like that's such an, an essential process to any type of, you know, bringing something to the world. And I feel like for writing, especially like, I feel like there's two sides of it where there, you hear that sort of slogan that's like, don't share it until it's ready. And then you hear the other side of it that's like, well, actually, you're kind of co-creating with your community and your readers and your followers. And, and I've always been an advocate of, you know, share something before it's ready, start before you're ready. And, and that's how you really practice your craft. Yeah. Mm. I would and say I a lot like of that, please. No, I was just going to circle to, for instance, these different newish writing platforms like Substack. Um, you know, there's these kind of, I would say, forums where you could essentially share, which is, you know, Elephant Journal in its <laughs> smaller sort of formats. But even social media, you can share in that way with your followers on you know what you've written recently and get that sort of out there into the world on those different platforms so you're asking what i think of them or no just kind oh. of reiterating different platforms for someone oh, yeah. listening um where they could essentially share their writing and different platforms oh, wow. that are whether it's social media whether it's substack whether it's elephant journal these different yeah. ways that you can put yourself out there yeah, again, I would say the whole world is teaching you that you are small and that you need to work for the man. So I often challenge people. I say, what is bigger, Instagram or elephant? And obviously Instagram is 8 million, kabillion times bigger, right? Plus it's got epic, endless amount of money behind it. But I say, okay, you put out like, so this is to one of my favorite Instagram accounts, Peggy Markell on Instagram. I'm like, you put out photos and amazing writing all the time. What do you get back from it? How many likes are you getting? How many people click on your link in bio? 
And after all these years, you know, you know, a couple thousand, 4,000, 10,000, whatever followers, how many, how many clicks are you getting? I'm saying you put an article on elephant, which you think of as like this big compared to Instagram, right? And you're going to get a couple thousand readers on average. Sometimes you get a hundred thousand, sometimes you get a million. Usually you'll get a couple thousand. Sometimes you'll only get a hundred or 50 if you don't really share it and you're not good at networking. People get discouraged on elephant or Instagram or whatever because they don't build up community. Mm. People focus way too much on like, how many likes, how many, you have to build up community and then you can go anywhere. And mm. that's like influencer 101, but it's actually a positive side of influencer 101, which is community matters. So if you're gonna write a book and not share it with community because the world told you not to share it until it's ready, number one, you're looking, you're sounding, a, I'm not saying you, I'm saying one mm. is sounding a bit like a perfectionist. So there's a lot of like, I'm not gonna share it until it's perfect. And number two, you're giving up, you know, again, 75% of your sales. So if you want to be independent, you want to talk about feminism, you want to talk about being independent in this corporate world, you know, share it on Instagram, share it on Substack, share it on Medium, share it wherever you want, share it on your own blog, which I encourage, but then link to your own stuff every single time and build up those pre-sales. And then you have enough money, you can afford to pay more to print it eco. And then you can sell it for more because people have value with that. You can do an ebook for really cheap to keep it accessible. You've also serialized it for free so people can read one chapter at a time. But those are rough drafts. So they don't really take away from the sales of the book. In fact, they kind of build up a community around the book. So I had more than 108,000 uh, fans of my first book, Things I Would Like to Do With You on Facebook back when Facebook was huge before I even printed the book. So, mm. and this book still is a bestseller. Um, I've sold like 26, 27,000 copies. That's way smaller than if I had become a mega hit with a conventional publisher, but I make, guess how much, I mean, I'm sure we talked about this last mm. time, but how much money, what percentage do you make out of a conventional a profit? Book? Yeah. You make five to 10% of the, of the cover price yeah. as the author. That is yeah. highway robbery. Yeah. When you independently publish, you make 90%. You're paying for the printing other than and the shipping. No, they pay for the shipping. You're, you're getting everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 90% of 28,000 books at, you know, between 25 to $40, depending on the time or the sale or whatever. Um, is a lot more money than five to 10% of if you were to become this huge hit. Mm. And if you become a huge hit, then you might be famous and you, there's other benefits, right? But yeah. fame is pretty cheap these days, you know? Totally. There's, there's a depth underneath that, that I think a lot of people are hungry for. Um, and I like that you touched on the topic of community, because I think that that circles back into everything, whether it is a craft or whether, you know, who you are as a person, I think community is essential. And it is one of those things that it'll never go away. It's a timeless pool of connection. And 
let's dive into that on how building a community is so essential to birthing a book or sharing your writing or creating a platform, whatever it is, a blog. How would you, where would you start? Like, how would you recommend someone who's just starting to, you know, write from the corners of their home? They've created a blog or created a journal or have an Instagram. How would they build that following up to prepare themselves to publish a book? Um, I think, you know, just stay mission driven, just stay. I love community and community gives me so much. And you talked about anxiety before, like if I'm stressed out or speedy or tired or burned out and I go to the local cafe, community relaxes me. I go to farmer's market, community relaxes me, not because I'm an extrovert, but because people um, care. If you're willing to be a little bit open and vulnerable, people care. People say, how are you, Sophie? And you might be anxious or shy, or you might not want to go to the farmer's market. You're feeling overwhelmed, but you go and you know how I am. I go to the cafe and if I'm having a hard time, which isn't often anymore, but um, you know, building a business, being an entrepreneur, I often would be working all the hours of all the days and I'd be burned out. And I, I would barely be able to answer them the first few times. And then the eighth person ask, asks you how you are. You've gone from grunting in response to saying, I'm okay, but not great, but you know, not really knowing. And to being able to talk about it and you process it. So the most important thing is there's so much bad advice people could give you to that question like be consistent, that's awful advice because it puts so much pressure on you to do something and you're not even sure what you're doing. Mm. And that leads to our friend writer's block or mm. you know, more stress and more pressure on yourself. So yeah, you do need to be consistent in a funda fundamental way. Like you need to care about your mission and you need to be willing to share it. And if you're going through something, if writer's block comes up, whatever comes up, if you're shy, if you don't know how to create community, share that, write about that. Mm. That doesn't have to be part of your finished book, but share everything that is coming up, not from a point of view of getting likes. On Elephant, a lot of times we get these articles that are like, my trauma is worse than your trauma, you know? And I, I'm being a little facetious, but that's the sense behind it. You don't wanna use your anxiety to attract attention. You wanna use your anxiety to share it genuinely, to get advice and help from people. And in so doing, they get advice and help and an example of you being willing to be brave and vulnerable. Yeah. And everyone heals, everyone learns. So just focus on the heart, the mission, and then work your ass off. With my first book, I would write four chapters in a week and then I would write one chapter in the next four months. I have no mm -hmm. idea. I would just write when I couldn't not write. Mm. And if I didn't have something to write about, I, I didn't bullshit, you know? I waited until it was like a, a you know, a boiling tea kettle, right? Mm. But there's different approaches. Everyone's gonna have different methods and that's fine. Um, you know, my girlfriend is quite, she's good at social media, but she's not, um, she doesn't really love marketing herself. A lot of people have hesitation around that. so. What I would say is good. That means you're probably a person with some like integrity. Don't, I don't want to be marketed to. 
Who out there wants to be marketed to? Anyone? No. We want to connect. We want to learn. We want to enjoy. We want community. So just stay with the mission and work your ass off. I love that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Oh, it's so true. And also so genuine. Like, you know, it's real. And it's one thing that I also love for someone listening to this who's, you know, curious on ways that they can personally market themselves or network or create a community. One thing I love too is just conversation. So if you are at a local cafe or a market or, you know, a, a party or wherever you're at, you know, openly talking about something that you're creating or, you know, a question or share ideas. And also one thing I love too is like an accountability partner. I sometimes will do, you know, like creative working sessions with someone and that yeah. just fuels my fire Yeah. or even like getting out of your element. And I feel like we touched on this once before of, you know, if I'm writing somewhere that I always write and I feel really stagnant and stuck going somewhere else and taking myself out of the element to get more inspired to then fuel that inspiration to con continue to write again. Yeah, I like that. And I also, you know, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, the Buddhist world I came, I live in and I came out of um, meditation and you know, I often say like inspiration is overrated. Like inspiration is fun. It's like falling in love, right? It's great, but you don't need inspiration. Do you mm. say to the potter, my local potter friend, do you only make a mug when you're inspired? He says, no, it's a craft. It's like, it's his mindfulness, his meditation and action. He loves mm. creating this art as does his wife who's passed away. Um, so I'm a big fan of inspiration, but don't be dependent on it because then you start hunting, you become an inspiration hunter, you know? Where am I gonna get inspired? You know, the search for new, new, new. And you know, it's like, I think you could probably do some of the best writing ever in your garden or in your, you know, your favorite little swimming spot or alcove or cafe or market. You know, it could be the most banal place that you go to all the time that you love and adore. Mm. You know, um, so everything's so contradictory because yeah, you do want inspiration. There's nothing wrong with inspiration, but then the, the hungry ghost searching for inspiration can become a problem. Accountability partner can be helpful, but accountability, I would redefine that word because who wants accountability? You're writing a book. Mm -hmm. You want inspiration, you know, you want connection. So maybe like a, a writing partner, you know? And yeah, that does help for sure. Anything that helps, like anything I or you say probably can be helpful vaguely, but whatever people out there find helpful for them to write, as long as it's genuine and it's helpful to others, great. And by the way, you mentioned journaling. That's the best, best ground for writing ever because it gives you that daily connection with yourself, with God, with nature, whatever it is. Um, the best writing starts with journaling for sure. Yeah. And I was just going to actually touch on that before you just mentioned it, because it's, it's an interesting relationship with um, using writing as a tool to practice being human and to express yourself and kind of window wipe the, the shit of your day or whatever it is you're feeling right. or going through. And then on the flip side, 
using writing as a way of expression and creative expression. But I love how you paired that idea, that notion of showing up as is, however you are, whatever state it is. And essentially the tool that creates the, the book or the, the piece of writing is also the salve to being human and sitting and just doing the hard stuff. Yeah, and that's all good news. Like in Buddhism, we call it Dharma art. You're creating art out of whether it's visual art or written or what dance, you're creating art out of being human, out of connection, out of truth, not out of performance. Mm -hmm. Performance, not in the sense of like being in a play, but performance in like, I'm doing this art for your approval or to be fantastic or to impress totally. you or to be wild or different. Um, I'm doing this art simply out of my human experience. So the other day I'm having to do a layoff or two right now, which is really painful at Elephant and I have to do it. And I was getting all this pressure from different people with different ideas about how to do what. And some people are criticizing me for doing something, but I was really doing it because of this person, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I got to that point of like, I kind of um, loudly and angrily explained what everything that was going on to a colleague. And while I'm glad I expressed myself and what was going on gave some greater context, I felt bad and I should have about being loud and angry about it. And then I went and wrote something about that, but also about some other stuff. I don't even remember, but about anger was the subject. And there was a paragraph or two in there that was completely it, like you said, the window wipe, wiper, like I went from feeling kind of bad, but kind of good. And, you know, we have all these conflicting emotions. Mm. I was justified, but I was ashamed to just, I just owned it and shared it. And it was helpful to others. I think people have been sharing it and it was super helpful to me. And, and that is the magic of good writing. Catharsis is helping others, helping yourself being genuine. Hmm. I love that. And on that note, I want to segue into your book because I feel like that there's some juicy medicine in that and speak to us, introduce it to us as much as you possibly can. Cause I know it's on the horizon and letting us know where you can find it. And this podcast will be out. So those yeah. listening to this now, you'll be able to find the book and order the book as we, you are currently listening to the podcast. So yeah, I'll hand it over to you and introduce your new baby to us. Thank you. Um, so yeah, it's called It's Never Too Late to Fall in Love with Your Life. Uh, I managed to make an even longer title this time than my <laughs> first book, which was Things I Would Like to Do With You. And it's in Buddhism, we have a tradition of lojong or mind training and they're on cards and you read one card a day and on the back of the card there's commentary so there's a quote basically and then there's commentary for more depth and then you can go beyond the commentary and learn more and meditate and practice so basically i did that in a book form which is i tried to cover everything that's been helpful to me in my life that i've often learned the hard or the slow way like it wasn't handed to me and I'm trying to share it in so that people can learn it the easy way. Like there's all those things, we all have those things that we've 
wish we knew 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And we mm -hmm. wish that everyone knew or, or could know. So it's, it's a lot of Dharma, Buddhism, kind of 101 stuff for people who may not want to be Buddhist, but may want to connect with that wisdom in an accessible way for their lives. And it's a lot of eco stuff. I love, I love environmentalism. It's so fun and so passionate. And climate crisis is depressing and awful and terrifying. But environmentalism is so fun. And actually, you know, the two kind of help like fit each other. If more of us cared, there'd be less of that awful thing. And then there's activism, um, giving a care, uh, getting, you know, stop talking and start doing. There's a lot of that. And um, I think that's the main thread of it. So yeah, um, the back cover has, do you want to hear some of it? It sort of has an excerpt on the back cover. Please, I'd love to. So this is sort of a, a mix of a whole bunch of the different sections in the book. And I put it on the back cover instead of art this time because I felt like someone sitting around with the book, like laying down, could just read this. And if they never read the book, you know, that's their choice, fine. But if they just get a little of this, maybe that could inspire a little bit. So in Dharma, we say, you know, you can go a thousand lifetimes without ever meeting the truth. Mm. So if you can just, and it's not my truth, like I don't own any of this. I'm just passing the stuff along that was helpful to me. Um, so I call this my, if I get run over by a truck tomorrow book, like this is everything that's been helpful to me. Mindfulness in quotes sounds too serious. It could be called joyful caring and that connects with the craft. So we often talk about mindfulness. It's such a serious word. Oh, I'm mindful, walking around being mindful. But really you're just caring about things, mm. right? Why are you mindful enough to turn off the light switch? Because you know the light switch is electricity that connects with coal. We have a coal fired power plant here that connects with asthma. I had asthma as a child, climate crisis. Um, and why would I wanna burn more coal? So you turn it off, but it's also mindfulness in the spiritual sense that you're being present, you're remembering to care for things. So mm. show up for yourself, show up for others, find joy in every moment, or at least active empathy. Poke fun at yourself, not out of insecurity, but out of humbleness. At least once every 23 days, get in a good laugh or cry, leaving you open, refreshed, the electric sparkling clarity after a sudden spring storm. Communicate about the little awkward hard things. Communicate about the little awkward hard things when in love. That's been a helpful one for me in my relationship. Mm. Anything that comes up, you may know bringing it up might create a little tension or a fight, but if it's out there, it's the elephant in the room, just communicate, be willing to be awkward and do the work of being in that relationship instead of expecting it to be perfect and then bemoaning when it's not. Dance without caring if you're good at it. Sing favorite childhood songs in the shower. Work and play to be of benefit. Succeed with humility. Fail with curiosity. Learn from mistakes. Try not to repeat them. When in doubt, ask. When you would fill the gap, be quiet. Listen, allow moments of space. Breathe into them. When you would be quiet, speak up. Reach out to enemies, in quotes. 
be frank, but be fair. Honor nature, don't, don't poison it or take it for granted. Don't buy single-use plastic. Enjoy real food. If you love animals, don't eat animals. Support friends' businesses. Support local arts and crafts. Travel eco-responsibly. Bike, walk, ride before you drive. Ride a bike. Always be reading. Study heroes or heroines devoted to service. Meditate a little each morning. Meditate each evening and dedicate any merit in your day to all sentient beings. That includes you. Give a care. You can wake up right here and now. It's never too, it's never too late to fall in love with your life. Mm. And that's it. So beautiful, Waylon. I loved that excerpt. Um, it was about the cry of the, what it was one of the first excerpts in the first pair or like the first part of the reading and it was um something about cry often or something um yeah it just cry, felt yeah so... get in a good laugh or cry leaving you open refresh the electric sparkling clarity after a sudden spring storm yes i feel like my whole senses were awakened in that sentence mm. yeah it was hard to put this together because so much of it tends to feel cliche and mm -hmm. um, when you don't have the the commentary behind it and mm. so much of it can feel like a hallmark card mm. but that's part of the writing process is you have to you have to kind of filter down the like if you're distilling whiskey or something you have to filter it down and and, and mean everything you say so that's my editing process I say do I mean this or is this just kind of a cliche so yeah pretty sure I mean all of that <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> and you know what I love about it? And I, and I love actually reading from, from different writers where it's actually real, genuine, day-to-day -day life stuff. It's mm -hmm. like, it's really relatable in the sense of, I actually have a book on my um, bedside table. It's called 101 Essays to, or, or something about, um, this is, or when you're ready, this is how you heal yourself. And it's one of the books that Brianna Weist, um, she has written. She's an amazing writer. And mm. it reminded me very much of the way that um, she kind of, it's an expert in, expert in her book, but it's just reading. It's like reading someone's mind. Um, mm. and, it, I, and I love that. It's stepping into someone's brain and seeing how their mind works and mm. And, and, and also, I feel like with social media, with Elephant Journal, I will follow different people and different businesses and different writers because I'm genuinely really curious about their life and how I think they're memoirs, they're memoirs of, of everyday people. Mm. Well said. Mm. <laughs> well, Waylon, I'm really excited for you on this next journey of bringing this to life and I feel like it's so important I know the title that I'm going to title this podcast because of what we spoke on today and I find it so beautiful to hear about the process of you know whether it's the ink that the algae's created or um the actual that um binder in the books that's the vanilla smell and and these really interesting old world and new world 
um, ways of creating a book, which I feel like is going to be so beneficial for these listeners who are really, really hungry for this type of information. Yeah, there's so much cynicism these days, but the opposite of cynicism, which is warranted often, right? A lot of people don't care and that makes us give up. But the opposite of cynicism is, what if we could create books that were good for the world, not just in the words, but in the material? And, you know, what if we could create independent media again as a path Mm -hmm. instead of it being almost dead? And what if, you know, I mean, there's so much we've touched on, but what if we could create genuine community that could help one another? And what if we could take the best from the old? Because I'm not really nostalgic. There's a lot of things that were done better back in the day, but there's so much better about now. Mm. Uh, better equal rights. Um, there's so much joy and opportunity right now. If we could just push back some of the kind of greed and the cynicism and again, I don't mind cynicism. That's a form of wisdom. But um, yeah, we can do better. So I just encourage people to care. And I think exactly like that, if, if we know better, we can do better. And I think that's where we have the opportunity to inform ourselves. I know for me personally, when I have something, you know, that arises within my body and I'm hungry for knowing new information or whether it's a teacher in education I'm hungry for that. And if I take initiative to learn more, I will do better. And I think that that's just like an algorithm on if you know better, you'll do better. And I feel like it's, yeah, it's a good thing to remind yourself of like, there's so much beauty in today's day and age. And there's also so much to learn from. And so by just being aware and informed, you can do a lot better. And each day is a new opportunity to do so. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the only thing that really gets me down or depresses me, and I'm sure many others, is when people do know, Mm. but we don't decide to change or to act. And I don't know, that, that makes me sad, but I think people can ultimately decide that being kind creates more joy and more genuine connection and being lazy or cynical about that change doesn't actually make us more comfortable definitely it makes us a little more dead and cloistered yeah and I think underneath that there is a sense of it's the um yeah it's that spiral of um expecting someone else to change and expecting someone else to know better and how you personally work with that is knowing in yourself what that arises in you Um, and then taking action on your side and also praying for the other of like, you know, knowing that in some aspect, you can't change someone's facts or um, actions. But what you can do with that is inform yourself and bring it back to you and create that awareness of, as a leader, I can guide someone in a different direction. And as a community, you can inform the people and thus create action. But it is, it's a really difficult, and I I spoke actually with someone just the other day on on this topic, and the actual grief, you know, what's on the other side of that is this really, really uncomfortable feeling of 
you know, when, when there aren't expectations met and when there are really ugly things in this world that happen. And that's the reality of living in a world where there's many differences. And um, not only is there that gratification and gratitude, but there's also on the other side of it, this um, greed and spiral of wanting more and, and wanting to, yeah, so, you know, we can go so deep into that, but I know I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it is a topic that is um, definitely very much an alarmist today. Yeah, there's a lot of suffering is, is everywhere and so much of it is unnecessary. And that really underlines that if we have the ability to change or to make a little more peace or kindness out there, that's a very urgent command from the universe or whatever it is to do it. Mm-hmm. Because as we're saying, seeing in the Ukraine or with the climate crisis, um, school shootings, um, you know, rights uh, being rolled back in the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, a lot of people don't have the, the kind of privilege to think about, oh, should I do this or should I do that? A lot of people are dependent on peace for their basic livelihood or their rights for their basic um, being able to live as a human being. So, and climate crisis is going to exacerbate every extremist and every cynic on earth. So it's really incumbent on all of us right now is the key time create a little bit more kindness, a little bit more space and a little bit of movement. So really, you know, I mean a lot of what I said there, if people can um, drive less and eat fewer animals and um, hopefully none. My dog just died a couple of weeks ago and I got thousands and thousands of comments from people because he was a sort of popular, well-known dog around town and on social mm-hmm. media and he was a character and, you know, 90% of the time, I just felt like, well, people are so obsessed with pets. And then they go and they eat they eat a, an animal on their plate. And that's a weird disconnection people are making. If you care about one sentient being, it's pretty easy to care about another. Mm. You know? so. mm. And some of this is challenging and it's annoying. And when I gave up sushi, when I became vegetarian or vegan, I literally had a temper tantrum. I was like, I can't eat any of this. I love this stuff. And I was like a temper tantrum with myself, but the other side is great. There's great, you know, anyway, whatever. I think what's so, what's so fast. It's like, we're all these adults that are just these, we just are throwing tantrums. Like we have on a daily basis, we're just, adults having a kid tantrum on the inside and how you show up in a (laughs) how you show up in a world with um a structure of holding and a perfect adult figure is creating space for that inner child to throw a tantrum in whatever form and shape that that looks like and knowing where you can get your needs met and i love the slogan of like you know one day at a time and if you're questions and thoughts are are different than tomorrow's I think you did really great and that you have an opportunity each day to act differently and to be in any shape or form that you would like to choose to be in yeah oh you're great 
appreciate it. And I think that we've just like squeezed out every single little bit of juice that we, I know I personally was um, looking at diving into with you today. And I know that we'll have another conversation because I feel like I, I have so much more to ask you. But for the sake of time, I'm so grateful that you were here, Waylon, and that we had this conversation. And again, condolences to your best friend. I know that he was a big, uh, that your pop was a big, yeah, part of your life. And with your new book on the horizon, may it bring, yeah, so much joy and inspiration to people's lives. And I'm really excited to have one personally. And until we, until we speak again. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Always. This time last year, we were, this time last year.